thousand okay Um, we have a Zoom option this evening, and for those that are attending by Zoom, we'd appreciate it if you uh, keep yourself on mute. If you need to speak or need to get our attention, please wave your hand or use the little hand signal thing at the bottom of the Zoom screen. I'd also appreciate it if we turn our cell phones off or silence them or whatever you do. Um, <clears throat> With that thought in mind, I'd like to call to order the meeting of the joint session of the Rock County Planning Commission and the Board of County Commissioners, December 21st, 2023. We don't have, Sarah's not here, so I'm going to call the roll. <clears throat> Commissioner Corrigan? Here. Commissioner Macy's? Here. Commissioner Redmond? Here. Uh, Brian Kelly? Here. Greg Jager? No. Linda Miller? Here. Jim DeFrancia. Here. Bill Norris. Here. Andy Benjamin. Missing. Paul Weiss. Ren Martin. Present. Peter Woods. Not here. And I'm here. We have a quorum officially. Uh, I'd also note that Christy, Alan, and Michael are all here from the planning department. And on Zoom, we have, help me, Jessica. Jennifer, I'm guessing. Jessica. Jessica. Design workshop. Yes. Anyone else from Design Workshop? No, just that. Yes. Just Jessica. Okay. Uh, Ashley, Ashley. And Ashley's joined us tonight. Hi there. It looks like our camera's frozen again. Yeah. Which happens periodically. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know how to fix it, but we're trying. Oh, great. Okay. <laughs> don't necessarily. So, uh, first order of business public comment anyone who wishes to address the commissioners on anything that is not on the agenda this evening, now would be the time to do so. Sure. Oh, what? we need to know your name. Okay. And address. And address. Diane Brower, 642 Evans Street, Steamboat Springs. Diane, if you could get real, get that microphone real close. So the folk, especially for the folks that are zooming in. Okay. Yes. Um, so I'm speaking tonight on about something that I don't believe is being considered tonight. I just wanted to clarify it. It's about um, oil and gas uh, update, updates to the Route County oil and gas regulations. Yeah. You are correct. That's not being discussed tonight. Okay. And uh, um, let me start by saying, I, th I thought Roger, Roger Steen was going to be here. He sent a letter to um, Christy Windsor, Route County Planning, and to the uh, Route County Commissioners. Mm -hmm. And 
it, it goes into great detail about our suggestions for um, oil and gas regulation updates. And I just wanted to speak in support of that letter um, to say that Route County is really fortunate to have input from someone as experienced and knowledgeable in oil and gas issues as Roger Steen. I want to thank him for co contributing his expertise related to oil and gas development and land use uh, regulations. And I hope you will consider the rec uh, recommendations in his letter, in our letter actually, very carefully. And I want to say that my great concern related to Route County oil and gas regulations is the impact such development has on our natural environment and also the impacts of oil and gas development broadly on climate disaster. There is no question that oil and gas corporations have for decades acted in an irresponsible and careless manner, being aware of their impacts on climate disruption, yet continuing to push for more and more development of fossil fuels. There has been ongoing disregard by these corporations for impacts to human health, water, wildlife, and the natural environment. This has been true across Colorado in the past, and it continues in current time. Given the history of oil and gas development in Colorado and the political power these corporations still exert in formulating policy across the state, it would be naive for Route County to rely on the Colorado Energy and Carbon Management Commission, formerly called the Colorado Oil and Gas Conservation Commission, to set the rules that will to set rules that will adequately protect the environmental quality and values we Route County residents hold dear. I urge you to incorporate our recommendations from this letter into Route County land use and zoning regulations in keeping with the widespread support across the county for the Climate Action Plan and effective action to implement the Climate Action Plan. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Uh, once again, we're at a portion at a point in the agenda where we're receiving public comment um, to any items that are not on the agenda this evening. Hearing that, I'm going to close this portion. We'll move on to um, the next item, which is the BCC PC joint work session round two. Chrissy? Sure, I'll just get us started. Thank you for everybody for being here for round two, as you noted, um, to discuss the regulation updates. Um, we last met on December 7th, um, and we intended to have this meeting set forth on various items, but there were leftover items that we do want to address tonight um, to get better direction from the decision makers on some important decisions. So we're better informed in writing our draft that will be available to the public. Um, <clears throat> Jessica will go through the presentation. 
I just want to address the comments that were just made and we staff have been in contact uh, with these lovely folks um, who are very interested to be part of the oil and gas regulation update. Um, they had provided us a letter back in July, July 15th, I think was the date of the letter that um, we provided to Design Workshop. And we informed them that oil and gas would be addressed in module two, we're not there yet. Um, so uh, Roger actually sent me today an updated letter, um, which you will all get in time when we're ready to address uh, that section. And um, as it was noted on the agenda, this is a work session. Um, I know there's a lot of folks that are over Zoom. Uh, we don't typically take public comment during this work session. However, um, you know, that, that will be up to you all to decide, but I just wanna put it out there that if there's any information uh, you'd like to provide or comment on, people can email me or call me directly. Um, as the project manager, I'll be sure to make sure that I provide those comments through the appropriate channels. Chris, I apologize. I meant to, to mention that because it is a work session, we will not be accepting uh, public comment this evening. Right. So there will be ample opportunities on a going forward basis for those to. Correct. Address. And the intent for tonight is really to get that direction on uh, some of these policy decisions um, so we can uh, finish writing the draft that will be available uh, for everybody's public input. Uh, so with that, um, I will put it over to Jessica from Design Workshop um, to get us started and walk us through the presentation on the items left over from December 7th and what we have on the agenda for tonight. Great. Thanks, Christy. Uh, nice to uh, see you all again and looking forward to the conversation this evening. Again, Jessica Garrow with Design Workshop. We've been supporting Route County in an update to your land use regulations. And we have a few items that are left over um, kind of a continuing conversation from our meeting with you earlier in December. Um, we've got five topics that we want to cover with you tonight. Uh, camping, workforce housing, uh, public and private commercial businesses, house size, and short-term rentals. Um, so similar to our setup in our last conversation, we'll go through um, some information about each of these topics and then open it up for your questions. And then we had some questions for you that are included in the memo and, and will be shown on the screen as we go through. And then um, at the end, we'll talk through discussion and some uh, next steps related to the timeline. All right, so I'm gonna dig right in to uh, camping. At the last meeting, we shared four different options related to the regulation of camping use. It had some kind of tiers related to commercial camping. Um, and based off of that conversation and then further conversation with staff, um, we are proposing a more simplified uh, framework related to the regulation of camping uses with just two definitions uh, of camping, one for private camping and a second for commercial camping. So private camping would continue to be allowed um, as it is today. Uh, those existing requirements would carry forward. Um, it would be limited to use by property owners, um, and they would be able to complete that activity on their property. Uh, the second definition would be for commercial camping. What we're proposing is that 
Um, regardless of the size of the campground, that it require a special use permit because it is open to the public. Um, the standards would be scaled based off of the size and the impact from the proposed commercial camping operation. So for instance, a, a camping uh, site that had uh, maybe three or four sites would not necessarily have the same impact as something that has 60 or 70 campsites. Um, and so we would wanna make sure that we're really scaling that um, in terms of requirements and level of review. Um, similarly, a dry campground facility would be addressed differently than one that needs facilities like a dump facility. Um, and so we would add that nuance into the code language, um, but really trying to simplify this as you either have private camping, camping for your private property, only you are using it, Commercial camping would be open um, as a commercial operation for others to rent spaces. So our question for you on camping is if the Planning Commission and the Board of County Commissioners support the requirement for a special use permit for all commercial campgrounds, and it would allow some discretion by that review body relative to the different facilities that should be required. Mr. Zimmer, we start? Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Agreed. Okay. Yes. yes. Okay, that was clear. Great. Sonia, you look like you're. That's it? Yeah. Okay. Are you okay with that? Um. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what we're proposing really addresses the problem we were running into. So what's up on the screen is essentially how we regulate camping currently, with the exception of we've had this in-between category for, say, dry camping that we couldn't put into our commercial camping definition because of the standards were very specific. It required um, the dumping facilities and restrooms and all these requirements really intended for a KOA. So our proposal <clears throat> before you addresses that issue by all commercial camping would now just be called commercial camping and we would have the flexibility in that um, definition and standards that it could be either or, but it would be an SUP either way. Yeah, I mean, and I had a pretty lengthy chat with Alan um, <clears throat> previously talking about water and availability of water and how the planning department would deal with that if it came up in a commercial campground setting. So at the level of comfort with this, uh, I was just expecting a little more color from Commissioner Corgan over there. <laughs> We're moving expeditiously along. I wouldn't say it was color, but I would say it was definitive. Uh -huh. So when Soaring Eagle was approved some years ago, I mean, they had very specific requirements for an on-site waste system uh, and for providing water supplies. And that, I think that's why I really like the idea of this being an SUP, because anywhere you put one of these camping facilities, whether it's small or it's large in the AF zone district, is clearly going to have significant impacts on, on neighbors, generally speaking. But each case is going to be really unique. Soaring Eagles... Uh, a Soaring Eagle is a good example of actually a pretty good place to put something like that next to the state highway. Very few residences anywhere near it. And that's the kind of, a, of an application that I think the, that we could consider and 
put on conditions of approval that make sense. There'll be other things that come forward. They'll go, no, that's really not in the character of uh, rural route county and, and the kinds of uh, the way we'd like to see our community to continue to look and feel. And if we're gonna be making those kinds of decisions, it should be made by elected officials that uh, are accountable to the directly to the voters. So moving forward, we have a yes on that. So okay, great. Done. Moving right along. Workforce housing. Great. No, no, we're not done with camping. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, just just uh, remind us where we're at with um, private camping because one of the things that and we went through this controversy probably ten years ago when we had folks that were camping out on uh, uh, pieces of property year round. They were in essence living on the mm -hmm. property. And we went through quite a controversial process and ultimately concluded that six months was right. the, uh, the time frame that someone would be allowed to do it. Honestly, I'm still uncomfortable with that. I never, I thought six months is a long time for someone to say that they're camping out especially on a property that does not have a principal residence on it. So but there are standards that go along with that, that you can't just set up your campsite and leave it there for six months. So you have to take your camper and your belongings that you're using to camp with, with you when you leave. Correct. So that's the difference. Um, if you wanted to do extended camping, um, you could do that through a minor use permit um, through us where you could leave um, your equipment, um, but we're also going to consult with the health, uh, Route County Health, uh, Department of Health about um, environmental health that is, um, to ensure that there are appropriate sanitation, what you're doing with that water. Um, so there's an evaluation um, which is essentially you come in and there's a checklist and um, limited review for something like that, but it's up to 180 days. So that would be private camping and you can only do that on AF zoned property. Um, and that was intended for a vacant piece of land that you may own in the county. And you could either do the uh, private camping or the extended camping with the minor use permit. Okay. okay. So, Christy, I have a question. So, would that cover the person who is camping on their own land while they're building a home? It could. Yeah, exactly. But it's still only limited to six months. Right. But then but my I mean, question is it has to be in the agricultural and forestry. There you go. Right. right. Well, yeah. So I good mean, luck with that. Yeah. Yeah. So. As long as it's first in AF, but in other words, somebody could do that if yes. they are in the time frame. Exactly. You know, the fact of the matter is it hasn't become a really big problem, but I could foresee in the future as we see more and more pressures, especially from people that are struggling to find adequate housing or that kind of activity could start to proliferate. We just need to keep a close eye on it. And if it starts to get out of hand, I guess we come back and revisit the regulations. And, and that does not um, consider um, what we would look at as accessory. If you have a camper uh, that you're storing on your property, that is something that is common and customary that we just look at as accessory. You're not camping in it. You're just storing it on your property, unless your HOA doesn't allow for it and we don't get involved with that. 
So those properties that were yeah up in question, up, up, up Pine by, Springs. Uh, what is Pine Springs? Yeah, Pine Springs. Those were actually AF thirty-five yeah. acre parcels. They weren't. There were five acres. Oh, oh, yeah. That's what kind of always concerned me that that activity would be allowed on such a small lot. But we don't have that many small lots in the AF zone district. So okay. Moving on. Okay. Uh, next is workforce housing. Uh, there were a few questions um, from the conversation last time about kind of why we were asking the, the questions. So we wanted to go through a little bit of background. Um, there are a number of policies about housing within the master plan. Uh, the policies encourage inclusion of workforce and affordable housing throughout uh, development uh, rather than kind of limited to a single location or a single development. Um, it also encourages the use of deed restrictions to create permanent affordability and uh, development agreements to ensure that housing needs are being met in new projects. So these are just some of the, the policies and statements from, from the master plan on the left-hand side of the screen. On the right-hand side of the screen is a question that we asked during our code engagement process. Um, and this was a multiple choice question asking about the governance of workforce housing. So if workforce housing is included um, in a development in the county, um, how should it be um, administered essentially and, and what should the process be? Uh, this was a multiple choice question and most of the responses at 34% um, focused on uh, the importance of an administrative review process for the creation of workforce housing. So we've gotten some feedback about kind of make it a little bit easier to create workforce housing because we know that there's an important community benefit or and, and community use really. And um, some statements from the master plan uh, talking about that importance and overall goals from the community. So given the support for workforce and affordable housing, our team has discussed adding uh, creation of those housing uh, opportunities as a potential public benefit as part of the development review process. So if it's included as a public benefit, um, it requires someone to manage the restrictions and requirements. Otherwise, it could become an empty promise from an applicant. So unless there's some kind of deed restriction or some kind of development agreement that guarantees kind of long-term affordability of the workforce or affordable housing, it, it won't be available um, necessarily once, once that project is complete. Um, so you might recall in our last meeting, we focused on who might manage those deed restrictions. Um, and so kind of to help clarify, we wanted to step back and really ask the larger question, which is should the creation of affordable housing and workforce housing be included as a public benefit option for PUDs, subdivisions, and, and other major land use applications. Comments? My favorite as uh, being included as a public benefit option, but necessarily, as has been pointed out, that we also establish some form of enforcement and monitoring. You can't just do it and then walk away. You never know where it's going to go after that. And the housing authority seems like a logical party to be able to do that. So I'm curious. <clears throat> Let's take a <clears throat> 100 unit subdivision. 
Are we going to ask the developer to calculate the number of jobs that will be created by and associated with that development and then insist that they build that much workforce housing? Uh, no. Uh, we would ask them for a public benefit, which workforce housing could be one of their proposed public benefits. But we've got ideas for any of a number of other types of actions that could qualify as a public benefit. So it would just be, it would really be up to the decision makers whether you think that the public benefit proposed um, is reasonable for the scale of the development that we proposed. So Alan, in that, in that case, to follow Tim's example, if somebody was proposing a 100 unit subdivision and they said they'd give you two affordable units, that doesn't strike me as much uh, of a public it, benefit. We, at the staff level, we would probably go to them and say, hey, this is it. That's not it. This but is if they said reasonable. 10, which would be 10%, that'd be meaningful. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah, but, but go farther. Unless I misunderstand, this is really an, another option that's available. So yeah. right. that same developer says, I'm going to give you a million bucks. That's right. And zero workforce. Mm -hmm. That's right. Okay. You can do that. That's, that's maybe. Right. Or I'm going to give you seven miles of trail. I'm going to have 25 acres of open space and two workforce. Right. Yeah. So it's or basically it's, it's an option. Right. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. But we're adding this as an option. option. Yeah, I mean, this sounds like a very basic best practice, in my opinion. I mean, I don't see any reason why we would not consider this. Is there any argument against it? I mean, the only one I can make is that maybe it cannibalizes some of the other good public benefits like open space preservation. But I, I think the only question, the reason I raise that issue is I'm thinking about predictability for the developer. What are they getting into? It seems pretty... Um, loose we're just going to say yeah we need a public benefit and they bring something forward now that's not good enough bring they're, gonna, they're gonna work that out at the next level i think i mean it won't be just a wide open window that it's just going to be up to your best judgment to say whether two or ten units is appropriate right there'll be some parameters yeah and and that's like the basis of the question where we're going to go back and set up some parameters for you all uh, to review in the in the draft okay because my concern is i'd want to be consistent yeah yeah exactly you need and, numbers and you need something. yeah some matrix exactly and there are there are models we could follow from other jurisdictions uh, throughout the country that tell you if the, the ratio of affordable versus free market and what's meaningful exactly <clears throat> and the same with the other categories within the public benefit you know how much trail we have to build sounds like that's an easy one well Great. where do we think this is going to be implemented 100 unit subdivision you know again is it going to have are there unintended consequences in other areas you know that i think that's a good point ren i was sort of thinking through the only downside i could see to this is if we get into a situation where you know, we're somewhere in unincorporated route where we don't necessarily want the growth and now we're putting our workforce housing further away from where the actual work is. I mean, and that transportation. Was, yeah, that was kind of the one downside I was thinking about. But, you know, then I also thought about our um, project that came to us in Stagecoach. Uh, I forgot the name of it. 
Land delay or tailwaters? Tailwaters was 200 ish yeah. units, right? Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, that, that might be a place where, and so I was sort of using that as a model. Like, would I be comfortable with that being a workforce housing public benefit as opposed to something else in that location? Of course, they're not going to be subject to that. No, I'm, I'm just using it as an example to try to think through in what application would this be relevant? Because, you know, we're mainly thinking that this would be appropriate um, in our um, tiered growth areas. So specifically targeted growth areas, so tier two and our tier three, where that development, that anything that's being proposed in those areas should support the community and a community need. And again, so, supply, you know, meaning price point of housing can also fall under this umbrella of workforce housing. Again, we look, we generally follow the terminology of the housing authority, deed restricted, AMI, mm -hmm. things of that nature. But again, supply can be considered workforce housing. So. Would this include uh, fire department housing? It yeah. could. Sure. Yeah. 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 So that kind of puts it out of the box. Teacher housing, mm -hmm. housing that supports the fire department, okay. all of these things yeah. um, could Law be considered a public benefit. One of the things that when I, I was being specific to our wonderful LPS subdivision rules, and I have concerned <clears throat> things like this, the unintended consequences, that developer says, I'm not going to go through an LPS. I'm going to go through statutory right, 35 acre. And so that's You'll probably hear me bring this up again in other areas, but that yeah. is a concern. Yeah. And we obviously want, we prefer LPSs over 35 acre subdivisions. So Yeah, and we want to, and, and that's a really good point. Um, and that's something we have been talking about with the project team of things that we should be encouraged, things that we want to encourage in the county, like an LPS. We're looking at streamlined processes and other things that can help promote an LPS in lieu of a 35, right? Including the possibility of additional bonus lots? Well, you are allowed bonus lots. No, but, 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 they're, but they're specific how many mm -hmm. are available. So I hear what Ren said. Yeah. Uh, we're not seeing much come through on the way of LPSs, right? No. Because there's not enough incentive there for them to do it. Mm -hmm. When it was is. the last LPS? Mm -hmm. When was the last LPS recorded? Of any significant size was AM, Alpine Mountain Ranch. Yeah, yeah. AMR. And that was 14, 15 years ago. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But we haven't yeah. seen any 35 acre subdivisions either, but of any size, I should say, any magnitude. Stagecoach, stagecoach, mountain ranch. Yeah, well, then that, that's got a bunch. Sixty thirty fives. Yeah, 70. meaning the Widemeyer parcel. Yeah, mm -hmm. again, that's that's specifically what I was getting to. You know, incentive versus statutory right, and how we want to mm -hmm. incentivize versus dealing with thirty five acres. Yep. And again, whether it stays that way or not, maybe up to some of what we're discussing here. Yeah, and I don't think it's process. the intent to apply this to an LPS. Or I should say it's it, not the intent. <laughs> right. The thing you run into, once 35 is recorded and they start selling some, then you ruin that ability for, you got to go back in there and somehow get that land back to make the LPS to work in some cases. Yeah, that, that horse has left the barn. Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> 
So we have two questions though, that have we really responded to them? I believe so. Yeah. I, I think so. And okay. we'll also dig into subdivisions, LPSs when we next meet with you. Um, it is an important topic and, and we wanna make sure we spend some time there. Okay. Okay. So then the next topic. <coughs> All right, so our, our next topic is public and private uh, amenity and commercial spaces in development. Um, so there are a number of questions from the group when we last met and um, kind of a request to go and, and share a little bit more information. And so um, we have dug in a, a little bit to understand what exists today in Route County and, and provide some, some different options for you as you think about these land uses moving forward. Um, so really the key question is, should private commercial and recreational development be allowed in Route County? And if so, should there be any limitations or additional requirements placed on their operation? Um, a private business is one that is typically not open to the general public. Um, it typically charges membership dues and is limited um, in who can uh, visit and, and use those spaces. Um, the memo describes three different uh, areas within Route County uh, that include some private amenities or private clubs. Um, so Maribou includes specific amenities for homeowners. Um, these are really, they're just available to homeowners and we really kind of classify those as recreational amenities and owner amenities. Um, Catamount is a private club where someone uh, could buy a membership to the golf course and other amenities. You don't need to be a homeowner, you would buy into a membership. Um, and then at AMR, there are some on-site and off-site recreational amenities, and then there's on-site guest cabins uh, for homeowners and their guests. Um, so we've uh, gone through this a couple times with, with staff, and um, it's staff rec re staff's recommendation that amenities like those that are at Maribou and AMR are really accessory to the overall development and don't constitute a private business or recreational use. Um, that they are amenities and, and should be treated as such because they're associated with a, a larger uh, development and other land uses. Uh, staff also recommends that private facilities that are not associated with another development, an example would be Windwalker, um, be required to provide a public benefit as part of their land use review process. So trying to differentiate between that idea of amenity versus um, something you actually can kind of buy into. Um, so there's lots of different ways to think about um, amenity space and, and commercial space, but we've outlined four options for the county commissioners and planning commission to consider um, related to this. So first, you could choose to just prohibit private commercial development in the county, just an outright prohibition. Second, you could allow it everywhere. So it's just allowed, there's no limitations. Um, third, you could allow any type of private uh, development and, and homeowner amenities throughout the county, but require a public benefit. So something like Maribou and Catamount would require a public benefit under this option. Um, 
finally, you could allow um, this type of private development and amenities in um, tier two and tier three locations only um, while requiring a public benefit. So kind of limiting the location of where these, these might um, go and um, require a public benefit of some kind. Um, so we can answer any additional questions that you might have, but our specific questions for you are related to, do you want to see some kind of limitation on these uh, uses within the county? Um, and if so, and if you want to include public benefits, um, should those public benefits be on site or could they be off site? Um, so I'll pause here and see if there's any other questions that myself or staff can answer. Comments? <clears throat> Tim, you look like you're chomping at the bit. No. That, Tim. Oh. Tim Gorgon, sorry. <laughs> Revin rarely chomps at I'm sitting here oh. patiently. Excuse me? I'm sitting here patiently. You're never patient. <laughs> okay. Well, if no one else is going to speak up, I've got a couple of questions. So, if, if we're going to, if we're asking for a public benefit for these kinds of recreational amenities, we're doing it, I assume, because we think there's some kind of a negative impact associated. Is that why, that's why you do this, right? Right. So I guess, how do we define what the negative impact of, of say, something like Windwalker? I think it's the like really the character of the area and um, like with Windwalkers, there were concerns that uh, with the proximity to the river, the bridge that was over the, the golf cart bridge that was over the river, and then whether that's the type of use that the, the county wanted to, to promote. And then also it's a in the the entrance corridor that was identified in the Steamboat Springs area community plan that the community wanted to main, maintain a high uh, visual integrity of it. And so there, I mean, it, in that one, I think it was staff, so we, did, we weren't, we didn't provide recommendations at that time. So, um, so the bridge was an environmental question with the setback setbacks and the and the in the potential negative impacts on the river because of chemicals i mean those were environmental concerns that's not what we're talking about here uh no not necessarily I think it, it's it's really a, a question of do you feel like these types of uses are consistent with the rural character and the community in in route county um, in in other areas some some private uh, ski area private golf course private lake um, those can occur and it's a rural road and there's a gate and you, you or I are maybe not allowed to enter because we have not um, bought into that to that area. And I think that the, the question is, does that feel appropriate um, to you all as decision makers um, for the community and, and the um, kind of focus on rural character that's included in the master plan? 
So one of the things that I think is really um, good about the packet that was prepared, there's a lot of great information that we got in our packet, but the last sentence of one of the paragraphs says, since the master plan states that developments in tier two and tier three growth areas should address a public need, a public benefit should be required for any project within these areas. Um, I didn't see that specifically in this presentation, but that to me is a basic tenet. Like I think that's sort of the underpinning of all of this. And it really supports number four, uh, option number four. Um, right. And, and we kind of touched on it before earlier when we were talking about public benefit and really the tier two and tier three areas we identified in the master plan as um, targeted areas. Um, you know, it's very clear in the master plan those areas are supposed to support a public need. In fact, that language you just read um, came specifically from the master plan. So that's why this question has come up um, it came up during the master plan, um, whether we should consider uh, even prohibiting gates in the county, um, you know, and then the conversation um, really turned into a nature and character argument and whether that kind of development is appropriate in the county, uh, which is why we're bringing it before you again. And, um, and so through um, what we're giving you here as options, it's either, you know, you say, we agree, we should just prohibit them throughout the county, or can you offset those, um, that kind of development with some sort of public benefit where maybe it could be appropriate if you're providing a substantial public benefit, if you're going to be a private community in a targeted growth area. Again, I'll just throw <clears throat> out that I have the concern that they say, Thank you, Route County, but no thank you. And I'm just going to develop a 35-acre subdivision. Yeah. Windwalker, 500-plus acres, 15 home. Would we prefer to see 15 home sites down there with 15 wells and those impacts and those septic systems, you know, at the headwaters of the of the Ampa? Um, personally, the open space of Windwalker, the wildlife habitat, continue, you know, adding to the corridor there. To me, I see that as a, as a benefit even though I'm not allowed in there. As opposed to, you know, and I'm, I'm weighing it too, what else could it be? Mm -hmm. So yeah. I'm very happy that it's not 1535s. Yeah. So, so, so Chris, and, you have a question. Um, home Ranch is no longer a guest ranch. Um, <clears throat> in my head. Yeah, it's not a public facility any longer, right? Correct. So yeah, I mean, so but unless I misunderstand, I was I believe that they can they put a fair amount of that land into land trust, so that's conserved forever. Right. Correct. So would that not be considered a public benefit? Yeah. It, it could be yeah. certainly. I think to put it in a slightly different way, I mean, it seems to me that what we're saying is that as of right now, if a large primary facility, primarily recreational facility would be developed. And I like the way that you make the distinction in the package between the amenities, which are accessory to the development versus, you know, this is just a recreational facility. So mm -hmm. as it stands today, if one were to come in, there would be no public benefit required. They could just do whatever they wanted, right? 
So that's, I mean, I think the question is, do we want to include public benefit? And I mean, I just feel like that's a very basic yes answer. Yeah, I, I think it would support the direction of the master plan. Yeah, Absolutely. so I mean, I so it's, it's not fair to say they can do whatever they want. They have to go through a special use permit process, even under our existing regulations. Windwalker went through a very difficult public process before it got approved. And there was no requirement for public benefit within that process. That's correct. That's correct. So what we heard from you at the last meeting is that that perhaps had some room for improvement. <laughs> and maybe this is the type of improvement that we need to be adopting. Um, so I think I, I, I'm all for providing a public benefit. Um, there's a big question what that public benefit sure. would be. I think the bigger question for me that is in front of us, should we only be allowing this in the tier two and tier three growth areas, or should we allow this kind of activity anywhere in the county? I'm all in favor of tier two and tier three only. That is my strong preference, but you know, I'm one person. So I want to get it clear of require, you're, you're in support of requiring it only in tier and two and tier three growth areas. Oh, I allowing guess. it only. That's allowing, that. <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah. allowing yeah. private development only in tier two and tier three growth areas. Which would, practically speaking, eliminate Windwalker. Would not, we would not have been able to consider Windwalker. Alpine Mountain Ranch. Correct. That's not exactly well, what I was saying. But. I, yeah, <laughs> like it, it, was, it was never staff's intent to apply another restriction on LPSs. Because we don't, we want to encourage. No, that. not LPSs. So just think about if somebody wanted, if uh, if I wanted to develop a golf course on my property, um, should that be allowed at all? That's the question. In the AF zone district. That wasn't the question, but okay. we can certainly <laughs> discuss that. Yeah. So what's in front of us now is work. We're not talking about uh, limiting these kinds of activities at all. We're only talking about whether or not to impose a public benefit. Then what's the difference between number three and number four? Yeah, there are really, I mean, there are two, the two questions. I mean, you know, I think the, the, the question is, the, the intense question is, you know, are you interested in just saying hard no to private clubs and private facilities. That's question three. That's yeah, that's the that's the intense okay. question right there. That's three. Um, and then if and then if you're gonna allow them, should there be right. a requirement for public benefit? Right. And I mean I'm just saying like if we are going to allow them, I think there should be public benefit for sure. I, I agree with that. I agree with that too. Couple of couple of thoughts. Take in, in the example you use Alpine Mountain Ranch, Catamount, and Meribu. Windwalker is a bit of an anomaly. It's an outlier, that's for sure. But using those three examples, they are all they are all public vessels. Um, again, they are open. There's lots and homes available in all of those subdivisions as it stands today. Is there a barrier in terms of price? Yes. But do they discriminate? No, they do not. Um, analyzing other private associations, we can look at Steamboat 2. Steamboat 2 has a private um, park. Silver Spur has a private park. Volleyball, soccer field, if I'm not mistaken. Red Hawk Village has a private park. It's not open to the public. You have to be a homeowner. 
the list can go on. Um, there's 35 acre subdivisions with private water access on the Elk River. So my point being is that taking this, the, the differences that those other subdivisions, Steamboat 2, what they don't have is the envy that the three subdivisions that were named have. And so I have a lot of concern issue with, you know, making a regulation that we don't allow these types of developments in our AF zoning may have an impact. Again, we have tools to regulate them and, a, and public benefit. Um, maybe there's, you know, again, an affordable housing component that can be brought to the table, road improvements that can be brought to the table, but we don't necessarily need to be the ones to dictate that. Let the developer bring those to the table. Just stating that we are, don't allow these in the AF zoning, it, to me, it's again, it's, it's somewhat of a, a take, a restriction and a take. Well, but I don't think that's, I mean, I'm not saying that the, the examples that you're citing are not what I'm saying we don't allow in unincorporated route. I mean, what I see is very different is just the straight up recreational facility. Like that's, these are- Like a dude ranch. <laughs> sure, sure. I guess my question to you is, you know, do you think now that we have the benefit of hindsight, looking back at things like Alpine Mountain Ranch and Catamount, should there have been a requirement for public benefit? Well, Catamount did dedicate what they about three thousand acres open space. You know, yeah. that's clearly a public benefit. And yep. is the did space. too. They dedicated, I think, fourteen hundred acres to permanent open space, agricultural easements, wildlife preserve. But I think that LPS is a little bit of a different animal because yes, AMR set aside fourteen hundred acres, but right. they also got twenty extra lots oh. that they weren't able to do. Same thing with Marabou. Right. And Catamount. Catamount's kind of an outlier because with Cat the Catamount development, we had hearings go until two, three o'clock in the morning because the developers had a deadline on their forest service permit for their ski area. Mm -hmm. And so they came to the county and said, hey, if you approve our LPS and golf course and everything, we'll give up our forest service permit. Right. And so it, one could argue that them giving up their forest service permit was, was the public, public benefit. 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 Right. Yeah, but to say like an LPS is providing a public benefit by setting aside that large chunk of land, personally, I think that's double dipping because not only are they getting the bonus lot, but yes. now all of a sudden we're saying, oh, well, not only are you getting the bonus lot, but you're satisfying that public benefit as well. But to be clear, staff's recommendation is not to restrict those private amenities for LPA or for Marabou or Alpine Mountain Ranch, because in our opinion, that's accessory to that development. Mm -hmm. We're really talking about development in the tier two and tier three growth areas, and then those standalone recreational permits. Yeah, so for example, I mean- We're, we're, we're combining a I know, lot we're, we're, we're into doing this- I really want to, I want to isolate the question of just right. a simple recreational use straight up. And I'll just throw one out there that I've heard about some time ago. Um, let's just say that somebody comes in and they want to plop down a uh, indoor ski jumping facility in the middle of Phippsburg, but it's only going to be allowed to be used by, um, it's a private club, like nobody else gets to use it. Are we okay with that? I mean, 
if they came in today and they said, this is what we're doing and it's going to be for our, you know, for our clients, they would not be required to provide any public benefit or public access, correct? As, as the regs are written right yeah. now. Correct. Right. So, I mean, that's, to me, that's a very simple question. It's like- Would they be even allowed to, that would be okay in Phipsburg? I mean- They don't have the water. That yeah, that, there's a lot of issues with that, but um, just to simplify only, it- But conceptually. When we would bring that, if we brought that before you all, um, and we were able to process an application like that, um, you know, we would be looking at the master plan and the tier three areas, which would be Phipsburg, and development those areas it's very clear that the kind of development proposed needs to support that community there so, needs to address community need and then through that process and evaluation you all we would make our recommendation that no it doesn't support um the tier three um area the criteria but ultimately that would be up to you all to decide if you agreed with staff's recommendation. And then what, you know, walking it out even further, then what the developer will tell us of this private facility is that, you know, all of a sudden people are gonna be purchasing gas at gas stations and they're gonna be buying snacks at the convenience store. And so the public benefit of that particular private facility is going to be the tax revenue or whatever, you know, supporting local small businesses. And, and so then we're gonna go, oh boy, we're in a real pickle now. So what happens if, we're in a different universe where that same ski jumping facility comes in and there is a requirement that a simple straight up recreational facility has nothing to do with housing. It's sold is, is recreation is required to have a public benefit. Now, all of a sudden, if someone was going to develop a, a hockey rink outside of Oak Creek and they had the water, you know, again, don't we, it can't be, and it's private, um, but youth hockey, is that a public benefit? I mean, yes. Yeah. So again, it, it's it's a slippery slope here. I don't think it's a slippery slope. I think this is a very simple question. I mean, I, I don't understand why we're hung up on this. It seems to me like, you know, we're talking a large scale private facility in a community that we have said needs to be supported by any type of growth and development then it needs to be supported. Public benefit is simple. So uh, what if they chose to build that facility up Aguirre Creek, west of Taponis? Is it okay out there? I mean, I could care less on the where so much. I mean, are you saying outside of a tier three or two? Is that yeah, what you're saying? Yeah. Out there. yeah, just out anywhere. I mean, I personally feel like it is a very basic, simple, question that if we're going to permit anything that is a private facility in an area that is required to have public benefit for its growth, then we require public benefit. Like this to me is not complicated in the least. Um, Sonia, I think I agree with you. Public benefit is public benefit. That can be defined a lot of different ways depending That's on what the, the, the public needs are at the time. But mm -hmm. the public needs are at the time could specify that. And that's something uh, that if we got that direction from you all, we would be, we already have ideas that we are working on right. of what that, um, what those metrics would be um, that we would propose to you. Um, and then we can, you know, dive into that even deeper. It's just, you know, conceptually, is this some, the direction you want to go in? I mean, the, the devil is going to be in the details, obviously, and that's, oh, and we do not have yeah. the information today about yeah. what those details will look like. But the question is, 
yeah. you know, public benefit, thumbs up or thumbs down. And yeah. then you guys get to do the hard work of bringing this back. I mean, this is going to go through planning commission and Correct. I mean, it's going to be. So let's go back to Windwalker. Then by virtue of that, the public benefit, those folks could have plausibly claimed that by virtue of not building the 15 houses and maintaining the open space, that was the public benefit. I am not as familiar with that property as all of the rest of you are, because I was not sitting at the time. And so I really honestly can't speak to that. I don't know what, I can't use that as an example. That does seem reasonable, doesn't it, Ren? Yes. Yeah. That, that's If I was that developer, I would utilize that's, that. That's yeah. the right. So it wouldn't prevent the, the creation of a Windwalker golf course. This, this requirement of a public benefit they could have easily have satisfied that actually. Depending if, on if how you define public benefit. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, depending on the definitions. And also remember, we're going to be bringing back to you our land use chart. And so there's going to be that conversation of some of the uses and examples you're bringing up that we can not allow some of those uses in certain zone districts. Um, and that's going to be another conversation. Yeah, but but this, let's face it, it's what. It's what we allow or don't allow in the AF zone district yeah. that is the Correct. crucial item. So again, I, maybe I'm going down a rabbit hole, but could somebody build a, a hockey rink, uh, a private hockey rink out, uh, outside of Toponis, west of Toponis, going back out towards the flat tops? I, get, I would say build a private yeah. hockey rink, and I'm only going to allow you know, people to pay dues to come and use this hockey rink. So that it seems to me that that's <clears throat> clearly not the spirit of the rural nature of Route County. So yeah. that use would be allowed through a land use permit, yeah, which would be decided upon by either planning commission or the board of county commissioners. So that's the use, whether the use is allowed out there. That would be that would be subject to a permit. And wouldn't that application almost be denied because it's not consistent with what we're doing, trying to do in the right. master plan? Yeah, something or, like that. We'd probably. I think it would it depends, not support it. I think it depends on the scale. Yeah. I think it really depends on the, what the impacts are. Because yeah. I mean, people can create ponds, ice hockey rinks, not like maybe not like a full size, but people do it all the time in their backyard. So it really depends on size and scale and impacts when you're answering that question. Um, but I mean, I guess. I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna ask a question. Do y'all want to prohibit private development in Route County? No. Wait a minute. Well, that's really question. Number I, I need you three. to define private development. Are you saying like gated community <clears throat> private development? Or are you saying private recreational club? Um, more of a private recreational club, because I'm hearing that y'all think that um, the amenity, the subdivision amenities for AMR and Maribu are okay is that what i'm hearing yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. so now yeah. it's really that private those private recreational amenities that are not associated with a residential development like a dude right so if you're skiing i i don't know if <laughs> i don't know if i would put a dude ran, a guest ranch into that so i'm still confused by the you know what does that really look like then in the AF zone. 
like a, a golf course or a ski area or an ice hockey rink or something like that. Because a guest ranch has always been looked upon as something to help the agricultural community. A guest ranch is typically not something that you buy a membership to and it's exclusive. Like you go on their website, you book a cabin and you go. So, well, to answer your question, I would say, no, we don't restrict it. Again, just what you said before, when it goes through the, the process, the permitting process, again, that application will be based on its merits, based on those impacts. Right. But to say no, I think is short-sighted. Okay, and and that's I think that's where staff's head is, and right. uh, it sounds like that's where everybody else's head is. So then the the next question would be, do you want to require a public benefit outside of the tier two and three growth areas, or would you only want to see that public benefit required within those tier two and tier three growth areas for those projects proposed within those areas? The question would be, why wouldn't we? <laughs> okay, so so yeah, that's a yes. You would require a public benefit inside regardless, not for dude ranches. All okay. the <laughs> okay. no, we think of a dude ranch is actually a working ranch. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, I think there's a challenge there. I think Ren's raised a good point. You know, when do you? Where's the threshold between a dude ranch? and a private recreational activity. Okay, that's, yeah, I mean, that's I something think we can work on. We have an existing definition for a guest ranch, and that's something you know we can make um, and bring back to you, work on the definitions for both. Um, and one requires a land use permit, and um, it depends on what another application would look like, if it would be a land use permit process, if it would be, um, part of an overall larger development that it would be going through a subdivision or a PUD um, where, you know, we would be proposing for those kinds of applications, a public benefit um, for those kinds of applications too. But this is helpful to us in drafting uh, this code for you all to consider. And bring it back. I just think we need to think long and hard about all these different kinds of activities. And so For instance, and I guarantee you, I uh, you know, a, a 500 acre mountain bike, mountain bike park on private land. On your property? Um, well, so, and then the, the memo alludes to this, uh, a threshold. And it sounds like that's, Ren, kind of what you're asking about, like where, when do we require it? When do we not require it? And that's so um, I've, I guess what I'm hearing is that you want a threshold to be defined so that y'all can discuss it, determine if that's appropriate or not, or if it needs to be changed, or whether you even want a threshold. Yeah, that's the question. Do you just leave it up to planning staff, planning commission, board of county commissioners to make those judgments as they go? Ugh. I mean, I know. No. Well, then, yeah. then no, again, you do I not. worry about consistency. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 That, some, that gets down, meaning defining the public benefit. No, de defining when the public benefit is required. Mm -hmm. So, like, is it a scale conversation? 
you know, it, it, um, it changes with the times. That's I mean, why I'm just kind of talking about you kind of need to leave it open to the decision makers to, do you want us to grapple come, with those. Do you issues. want us to come with, to you with a threshold? So could you, you do that? Kind of. Have you got one in mind? Yeah, uh, we've got some ideas. Okay. Nothing sure. Let's kick that around. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We'll, bring, <clears throat> we'll we'll come back with a threshold and we can talk about it more. Okay. Can we recap? The decision that was just made to make sure we're all on the same page. Sure. We're not making decisions. Number three is a no. Number three was a no. Okay. Number four is a yes. Number four is a yes. Okay. And number four, yes, everywhere in the county, tier two, tier three, outside. Yes. And yes. then come yeah. back yes. with a threshold. Yes. Come back yes. with threshold. The guidelines or call it what you will. Yep. Yeah. 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 Okay. And, right. and the last part of question number four is important. Can that public benefit be offsite? Does it have to be on site? That's the question. To I you. think that's where I start to see a little bit of a distinction between tier two and three and the rest of route. Because if you're saying that the growth and development should bring opportunities to those communities, communities then it should be an on site, in my opinion. Well, but it can be beneficial to the community and that's not, not be on site, but it should be in that community. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So how do we, how do we? But the, well, the, the, the question right now, can it be on-site or off-site? And if we agree it can be either, then you get it back to the character of the of the amenity. So let's say somebody's developing whatever, and, and that, that community said, gosh, we wish we had a two-acre park down here in this mm. part of the county or this part of the town. And they say, oh, great, we'll acquire and improve that park. Or we That's want a mental health, health, totally a yeah, mental health facility or a museum exactly or right. yeah. something Whatever like that. Right. The community, yeah. Or, or infrastructure upgrades. Right. Or infrastructure yeah. upgrades yeah. beyond what their development would require. So I think as long as the off-site location is t tied tightly enough to the within tier two and three in, in such to a the way. Project. That, oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. And right. As long as we really get okay. that tight, then I think yeah. that works. Plus, that's a question that I'm sure legal staff would like to chew on, too, in light of some of the questions around requiring off-site right. improvements from developers. There's some legal questions on that. I bet. Mm -hmm. They've been part of the project team. <laughs> and, of course, Guiding we, us. like, at the staff level, we try to work with all of our applicants to so that everybody is on the same page and is on a, in agreement when we when we come here, and I think I think we do a really good job at that. So that I would it, agree with when that. When it comes to <coughs> the decision makers, there isn't a well. We want this. Staff's requiring this. We want you to mediate. And so I think I have confidence that we can bring y'all sound sound applications that have all of those hopefully okay. grand now we're on to house sizes that's oh, yeah. awesome mm -hmm. that's everyone's favorite everyone's yeah. favorite yep. okay <laughs> move us on here we go all right so um this house size conversation was another that we had um when we were last with you and you asked us also to come back with some additional information um, which we've included in the memo and um, we'll run through at a high level here as well. Um, as a reminder, uh, the memo from our last conversation included a recommendation of a house size cap at 7,500 square feet uh, with a sliding scale related to parcel size. 
Um, right now, while Route County does not have a house size limitation, there are different HOAs that have limited their sizes. Um, 12,500 at AMR and 12,000 at Catamount are the two examples. Um, so you had some specific questions about outreach uh, related to the house size question, as well as how this links to the master plan um, in our last meeting. Um, so the master plan engagement and policy statements are on the screen here. Um, that process uh, included a survey question, which is on the right, related to house size because it had come up through a number of small group meetings and conversations. Um, and so this asked uh, if there should be a house size limitation and used uh, 4,500, 5,500, and 6,500 as uh, the examples. And um, you can see the, the results here, lots of other, but kind of overall, um, a majority identified some kind of house size limitation um, when you combine those results um, from the three red bars. Reasons that participants in the master plan process supported a house size limitation um, was related to climate impacts as well as impacts to rural character. Um, so you can see some of the statements from the master plan related to rural character on the slide on the left-hand side. Um, and so there's a definition of what does rural character mean um, and then two specific policy statements that talk about the importance of preserving rural character and um, kind of agricultural um, aspects. Um, within the survey, there were 832 people who participated in that survey from the master plan. Um, and I know that was a question from, from the last conversation. Um, so we also asked about house size within the code engagement um, that we've had. Uh, in the fall, and there was also uh, general support for some kind of house size limitation. Um, the survey included some slightly different figures at 7,500, 10,000, and 15,000. Those were more related to um, house size limitations that are seen throughout Western Colorado. Um, it was also based off of what we heard from our developer focus group um, in April. And so from, from that meeting, as well as from the engagement in the fall, um, we heard uh, support for a sliding scale, as well as for a limit um, of 7,500 square feet and 10,000 square feet. Um, you also asked if staff could um, explore information related to existing house sizes in Route County. And, uh, the staff was able to work with the assessor's office to understand what exists today. Um, so in the memo on, on the slide identifies the existing ranges for larger homes at 7,500 square feet and above. And so you can see that the vast majority of those homes are between 7,500 and 10,000 uh, square feet with fewer at the uh, larger numbers above 10,000. Um, we've also reviewed additional case studies from other counties on the Western Slope. Um, so you can see here that some counties like La Plata, Chafee, and Grand counties do not have a size limitation um, or it's dependent on uh, floor area allowances and lot sizes like in Summit and Eagle County. And others have a specific cap. Um, Gunnison is the lowest at 7,000 uh, square feet right now. And Pitkin County, as we've said before, 
recently reduced the maximum to 9,250 and certain areas are limited to uh, 5,750. Jess, could you flip it back one slide for that total data of the different house sizes? Yeah. Right there. So above 12,500, we've got a total of 11 structures. <laughs> what that is. Right. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then when you flip forward the slide you were just on, and the, I saw 12,000 square foot. But really, if we limit it 12,000, we're affecting maybe 10 structures in the next 20 years. So, so I don't know that what, I've been you know, I that. thought I looked at that today and I kind of thought that as well initially. And then I thought about it some more and I thought about what is the direction that this county is going? Who's moving to town? Is the future going to look like the past? And my answer is hard no. I mean, I don't think. I think that's great information to have about the minimum, you know, that we don't have that many 7,500 plus, but does that mean we're not going to get them? I don't think it does. Well, if anything, when you look at the slide with the right there with by county, the other thing it's sort of telling you, if we don't do something, we will be the open end because our competition really in a lot of ways is San Miguel, Eagle, uh, and Gunnison, right? That's Crested Butte, Vale, Aspen, Pitkin County is limited there. So if you take the skiers with the best direct air traffic, that's really what you're honing in on, those numbers. So if you leave it open-ended, the answer to your question is, somebody wants to do that, they will come here. Uh, yes, yeah. that's good read, Bob. Yeah. Do, do you mind? Can we go back to the why we're we're analyzing this? Is it just you know? Is it character? Is it um, global warm? You know the, the inefficiencies of yeah. some of these costs of some of these large houses. But if we can prioritize the why, I may you know it may help me personally get <clears throat> my head around dealing with the the what. Let me give you a flip answer and then I'll give you my real answer. Okay. The flip answer is based on the first slide on the screen, which basically says that if we limit it to 7,500, all the realtors who are selling at Catamount and other places that have 12,000 are going to get rich because we're going to push all those people into those developments, which actually, I mean, I'm kind of joking about the realtors getting rich, but think about it. If we limit the square footage size to 7,500 and unincorporated route and you want a 12,000 square foot home, you're going to Catamount. I mean, literally, like all of those that aren't built out are going to be built out, built out, which is kind of a good thing. I mean, in the sense that those people are. Wait a minute. They'd have no, a no, why is they that? Not you think they'd have a vested right? They're not vested no. right. No. We would be saying no. no. From this point forward. They don't. They currently can, can do 12,000 square feet. And we would take that away from like the Alpine Mountain Ranch. All of the things that are already developed out and have their lots already plotted. We would. That's, in that's the, a great uh, question. It would it's be in the declaration. This would be yeah, implied at building environment. It's in there. Their their current restrictions are in their covenants, which yeah. means that we are not part of them, and they effectively don't exist to us. So right now, you have the houses you have that are over seventy five hundred square feet that were broken down, and then any future building permit that would be applied, we would look at it and say, does this meet this standard or does it not? And we would either approve or deny it. We they, none of the sub we've I don't to my knowledge I don't believe we've got any subdivisions with. Vested rights for a particular size of a house in a development agreement with the county. Yeah. 
Okay, but well, yeah, we can take all of that back then. Have, they have their own restrictions on size. Right, Correct. and that's what that information was but, about. Is but if the that. county were to impose a different restriction, they would be off. They have, they're held by the right. county. Right. I completely misunderstood that. Yeah. So then what we're saying is, to just to be clear, that in, in these already permitted subdivisions, doesn't matter. I mean, those empty lots are going to be held to the same standards everywhere else. Yeah, but you did not address Ren's question, which she was asking. Oh, the why? Because um, <clears throat> yeah. he, he asked the question I wanted to ask. I'd like to understand what is our objective? Okay, well, you know, I think I actually asked a couple of folks just kind of in the community about this question because we had so much interesting conversation around it. And really the community character issue is the answer that I got more than anything else. Um, is, you know, just what is the community we want to be? Who do we want to be? You know, what do we think is a reasonable um, display of uh, roof over your head? Um, you know, do we want to have our landscape lined and dotted with trophy homes that, you know, is, is that what we're looking for? I mean, what do we want to have? Do we want to have people who actually live in their homes or do we want to have people who are creating an architectural masterpiece that, you know, sits there unoccupied? Um, so I thought the community character argument was very compelling. Uh, I think on the sustainability side and energy efficiency and green stuff, I'm a little less convinced that, especially with the increasing, the increasing efficiency of technologies. I mean, I'm a little, I mean, we have a good slot, uh, piece of information. I don't know if they, they showed it, but it was in our packet showing just how an increased home size does actually impact energy use, right? And that's just sort of a no-brainer logical to some degree, but I do think the technologies are coming up so much more that that's not my argument for this. I think the argument for it is really more community character. Is Route County the place where, you know, we want to encourage eight bedrooms and 10 bathrooms or do we want to have a little more modest display of our wealth? Well, Sonia, I would say there's certainly merit to that argument, but I personally would find it more persuasive if you look at the data that was supplied by Pitkin County, that 15% uh, of houses over there larger than 5,700 square feet accounted for 43% of the energy use. These big homes are not energy efficient. Technology aside, if the technology improves, it improves at every level, but the big houses are still consuming disproportionately more and are inherently inefficient. You well, want I mean, some sure. of these big houses, it's, they're just it's the big resources spaces. that just get put into spaces. it. Yeah. You know. Well, yeah, sure. And I mean, you're going to, you know, I mean, forget about the construction waste. Right. I mean, from all of the things. I mean, I'm not arguing that they don't have more of an impact. I'm just saying I'm not sure that is the primary reason I think we should enact this. Yeah, I would say when we <clears throat> went through the master plan process, um, largely what we heard um, was because of nature and character. And that is clearly defined, our rural character is defined in the master plan. Um, and that supports traditional agricultural properties, which is the predominant landscape, you know, throughout the county. Um, so these larger homes are, um, that they're in conflict with the rural, rural character. And that was why these questions were specifically asked during the master plan, uh, the, the <clears throat> development of the master plan. So we have our marching orders um, in the master plan, and now it's trying to implement that and, and regulate it and what's appropriate. So, but the marching orders in my head, based on the original survey, 
seem to lean towards a sliding scale. Mm -hmm. How do we do that? If that's what we you know, yeah. I'm sorry. Ego models. Before we go yeah. to the sliding scale, yep. I still think, I still don't feel like we've answered Ren's question. I think Sonia answered half of it, and and I'm I'm kind of, and I agree that there is a climate angle to this, but I, I agree with Commissioner Macy's that I think we're really more concerned about the community character. Yeah. It might be interesting to to quantify how many tons of greenhouse gases are um, produced. And, I, and it looks like there's actually some, some data there that shows that that's going up, but it's a small enough number of these houses that I don't know that we're gonna be moving the climate needle significantly in Route County by limiting home size. Uh, so for me, I agree with Sonia, it's really more of what we want our community to be and and what it looks like. The question I would have for staff is, um, we, we talked about it a bit at the last meeting about the social equity component of, of larger houses and, and whether or not discouraging wealthier people from moving to the community, but that's not really an appropriate use of a land use plan, is it? No. Addressing social. Equity. I mean, I think it really depends on who you talk to. I mean, <laughs> you know, what, what county do you live in? What state yeah. do you live in? True. I mean, in this United States of America, there is a broad spectrum of um, opinions on that, I think. But we've always kind of had a narrow view of land use is that it's, it's you know, is this uh, activity appropriate at the scale proposed? for this piece of property. Uh, we don't spend a lot of time saying, well, we should do it because it's gonna create X number of jobs, right? We don't do that kind of stuff. Land use, maybe we should, I don't know. But Sonia, when you say that you're, I mean, you're thinking about it in terms of community character, uh, does that encompass some of these economic social equity issues or is it, or are we thinking about it narrowly we just don't like seeing big houses on the landscape. I mean, I think there is an element of, um, when people talk about Steamboat Springs and why it's different than other places, what you hear is that it's a, it's a town that just happens to have a ski area, right. right? I mean, like it's a real town and you know that extends to all of Route County, obviously. Real town with real people. And um, I think that when we talk about the type of, <sighs> The type of folks that live in a 35,000 square foot house or 15,000 square foot house, are those the real people that people who come here and, and experience our real Western authentic heritage interact with? I mean, is that what makes our community? Well, so, some, some of the biggest some donors people are or can be. Yeah, some of the biggest donors of the Boys and Girls Club. Right. They exactly. were sitting here right. today. Right. Or live in some of the biggest houses yeah. in the community. Oh yeah, so are they making donations to the vet center and what have you? I mean, strings in the mountain. Yeah, exactly, strings in the mountain. I mean, it doesn't mean they're not nice people, but they happen to be fortunate enough to be very wealthy. But it's, it's also getting back to the when we think about the objective, which uh, do we actually think that limiting home sizes to say seventy five hundred square feet will somehow magically keep 
these wealthier people out of our community will somehow mag magically reduce property values or limit property values to the point that people will still be able to live here. Will, will it actually make any difference? I don't know. Let's, let's stop talking about the wealth of it all and think more about the consumption, just the, the use, the excess of it. I mean, it, it's just a well, that, that, and that, that gets back though to sustainability because consumption as in consumption of energy in the broadest sense of the term. I mean, again, the data that we got from Bitkin, it, it affected everything from automobile travel to heating and cooling the houses of that size, which is why I think it's fine to limit the sizes. Don't you think when it's all over and done with, it really is all about the rural character? I mean, this- Yes, and that says that And again, rural character has again, everything to do with it. And again, it. Correct. and again. Right. Mm -hmm. When, so, you, when you drive out in Rod County, you're you're in the real west. You're looking at big, wide open spaces and an occasional ranch house style here and there and everywhere. You're not looking at some guy's mini mansion that thinks he's a shaker area. You're not. That that's that is a valid concern too. So I think they're all valid concerns. But then the question is, is it a fixed limitation? I mean, my sense is. The limitation appears to be acceptable to people. I think you have a sliding scale to a fixed limitation. I need to know how that works, though. Yes. Because I don't get. Oh well, yeah, we, we need the matrix of it. You know, what what's appropriate for what size property? Yeah. Yeah. And, and do we want? Is there an opt out? Meaning, if someone is <laughs> so wealthy enough that they want to have a house that they want can. Is there a fee that we discussed that option um, with the technical working group during the master plan and even through this process and um, basically the conversation <laughs> ended on well what's the point of doing that when you could just buy out of it anyway and that's what will happen right um, so if it's something that we all feel strongly about, um, and it this really has to do with nature and character, then you know you just need to set a limit on that. What that limit is um, is uh, really up to you all, but you know there's some good models that are out there. Well, again, in, in Pitkin County, Jessica, you correct me, but I I believe there was a limit, for example, of five thousand seven fifty. In certain like, areas, by right, by right. And then you could go up to now it's yeah. ninety two fifty, yeah. but you had to buy transferable development rights mm -hmm. in order to do that, and it was like one per two hundred and fifty square feet. So you had to buy a number of them if you were going to if you're going to go four thousand more feet, you had to go buy uh, thirty two of those development rights, and those development rights were selling for two three hundred thousand dollars. So it was a public cost, benefit. Huh? Yeah, it was, was going <laughs> to cost you a hell of a lot of money. So to the, get up to that cap, but there was a cap. No matter what you did, you could just go somewhat, some degree higher than the buy right. Yeah. But there was still a cap that you couldn't get over, no matter what. Yes. Yeah, that's right, Jim. You know, I I would be comfortable with a cap and then giving some room over that, if you can show the energy efficiency of the home at that. Point. As what that could be one example. There could be others too. I mean. Can you can you make contributions well, to the why land? Why aren't you trust? defeating what you're trying to really accomplish? Well, no, no, because if if you're trying to accomplish setting a cap of 
permanent cap. You just can't go bigger. That's all. You, whatever that number is, pick a number. Let's call it 7,500 square feet. That's as much as you can get. Well, if you want to say you can build 4,500 square feet or 5,000 square feet and you don't have to do anything, you can still go to 7,500, but that's where yeah, you've that, got to demonstrate uh, energy efficiency or you got to contribute to the land trust or like Aspen, you got to do something in with the way of, of uh, transferable development rights. There's a way, but once you get to that cap, that's it. There's it. Right. I don't care what I you didn't do. hear it that way. Yeah. And once you get to the cap, you can't go any higher. One of the things that the land trusts are dealing with or considering and actually implementing is subterrain limitation above ground, above grade. Right. But not a limitation. Not below grade. Below. Wow. Efficiency. I mean, if wow. you want to talk about home efficiency, underground. Underground. Right. But for example, a large ranch down on the Colorado River that is encumbered with a with a conservation easement, they are allowing that landowner to go subterrain. Again, if character is the focus here, um, should be considered. And and that was the consideration in Pitkin as well. They focused on above ground. You could Thank go you below for bringing grade. that to our attention. You could have five thousand feet above ground and put two thousand feet down below, and you had seven thousand square feet. But they only counted it as five because that's all it was above ground. Right. To me, it makes good sense, you know, if we're going in that direction, consider and character is our is our why. And then we, you know, Jessica pointed this out before, but just to be clear, I mean, we had a specific focus group earlier during this process with the building community. Um, and I mean, we were surprised that they were all in favor of a cap and Jessica highlighted those numbers before. And then with speaking, when speaking with Todd Carr, um, our building official, and just some of the um, developers we have dealt with or the construction uh, companies, um, it's, it's interesting to hear their feedback because they actually, some of the reasons are uh, because they are stuck on one project for so long. Mm -hmm. uh, right, right. Well, that, you know, that was brought up at the last meeting, actually. Right. Yeah. And, um, and so that, you know, they would actually prefer it so they can start working on other projects. So is there a tax part to this discussion? A what part? Tax? tax. Property tax value. Not for Rob County. It doesn't help no. us at all. No. Right. We're tabor limited. So. Good question. That doesn't mean we'll always be tabor limited. Day in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Go back to the We're hitting all so, the popular topics. Yeah, right. <laughs> short-term rentals next. It's a good luck great night, right? So, so Mr. <laughs> Chairman, the, 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 the question was: Do we do we favor a house cap? And it sounds like there's a sense that yeah, we, the answer is yes. Yes, yeah, I think the answer is yes. yes. The question next is though: Is it a sliding scale? And I don't know what that looks like. You know, to be honest with you, like looking at these numbers and again you know i'm the one who says and if i look at page four of six and i'm looking at how many of these very large homes we have and you know my first question was as a function of the entire county you know how many of these homes are huge it's a pretty small number i mean right. this is like in the hundreds whereas our stock is in the five thousands so i guess my question is like do we really think that we're hurting these 100 out of 5,000 home sites, if we set a cap at 7,500? I mean, people are already not doing it, it seems. Yeah. 
the future will look different. I have no question about it. I mean, our, you know, there's so many different reasons that our community is different now than it has been in the past. But I mean, I guess my question is, based on these numbers, what's the harm of just saying 7,500 and knowing that we have the capacity to adjust? If we get into a situation where all of a sudden we see that, you know, this has exploded our universe, we can revisit it. Well, so you're saying 7,500 and don't worry about a sliding scale. Yeah. Oh, I, I disagree. My, when I read what Sonia just highlighted, it was aware. Where are these homes? As much as looking at the information. You know, this is a large county, a thousand acre ranch up on the Little Snake River. You know, how much of an impact does that have on our character if they build a 15,000 square foot house? I think a lot of what we're dealing with is in fact a a proximity to the urban area and that you know all the development we've seen on the 35s and then and the light pollution and the traffic pollution and so it really comes down to aware for me which then brings up the you know a sliding scale an acreage size if someone you know, down. I could be convinced to go on a Jerry I mean, Creek on a thousand sure. acres. You, is there someone you could? What would they look like? Ten thousand square foot house. I yeah. don't think it it has a negative impact on our character as much as possibly a house on thirty five acres um, here in the South Valley, for example. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point. I think it's a good point, and I think the other point that I don't even want to make, but I will. I mean, and what you're saying too is this: the visual impacts, like proximity question it's almost like you want to put like a concentric circle around yep. the areas I'll, where you can build tier. a ten thousand square foot but we don't want anybody to see it yeah, yeah. right one, i mean if it's a character question yeah. if it's yeah. nothing other than that i mean yeah the, but you know we can't one that's a, you're yeah. into building. now you're kind of getting into an equity but then you're getting into a total subjective world i mean i get i don't think it's practical but um an important thing to keep in mind is that if you are thinking about 35 acres versus larger or smaller sizes we don't want to put ourselves in a situation where there's a tier that has anything over 35 acres because if someone, let's say that this, the standard was like 50 acres and you could have 15,000 square feet and then less or something, and then they end up selling off some land and then now they're right. at 35. Right. They've now created a zoning issue and I can't go there and tell them to chop off half their house and Dave would not like that either. So, <laughs> <laughs> get your big house with a permanent house. With a recorded deed restriction. Yeah. Well, so I would keep that in mind as to whatever the most, the simplest and logic, most logical way of doing it is, is we might not want to go above 35 with our tiers, should we do any. So you were talking about the back ends of the county, and I would occasionally I get called to those places. <laughs> and they are the most special places in this county. That you just, it's route county like it was 50 years ago. And very northwestern route county you got to go up in wyoming you come back into moffat county and right. then you come down the county road to get 80 82 that area there gets shut down during the winter you can't go through and that is route county as it once was and it's really special and yeah. just to think that you can put them out there and no one will see them therefore we won't care about it that those are the places you can still go and see what it used to be like in the day. So I, I don't know if they should be any different. I would agree to something concentric off a road that could be seen from a road yeah, because that's 
imparting that rural character. If you're driving down any county road and you look up and you see this big house, that's an impact even in the middle of nowhere. Whereas if that is over the ridge, it's not an impact. But that's our skyline ordinance too. Yes. Yeah, it's, I'm not talking skyline. You could be, you would, the only road in that area is that remote county road, like 80 or 82 or, right. you know, 56 or 54, <clears throat> those roads, you know, where you start getting back into really rural route county. So, so Brian, and what, what, what I'm hearing you uh, discuss your suggested approach might be that if we had a fixed number of 7,500, and then you had exceptions above that that met certain conditions. Yeah, if they're off the off the Correct. lines of visibility. Exactly. For so the then, then you had exceptions above that 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 increased that number. You still had a limit. But then you still have some upper number that they can never get bigger than. Correct. That's what I would think. Yeah. The, the one other thing that I would throw out is I still have concern that landowners in Route County have not vetted this issue. Um, 873 or whatever the number was. That 32. 32 that responded. I have a lot of concern that those landowners in the outback spots of Route County have not vetted this issue. And I think, you know, we will probably get an opportunity. I go back to Lenny's comment last week. That's their responsibility yeah. right. to look after these affairs. These meetings are open to the public. They're publicized. They're advertised. Everybody knows we have planning commissions. We have boards of county commissioners. I'm just throwing if it out. People don't pay attention. I, I really have no sympathy. It's just really part of don't. our job. <laughs> but they will have another opportunity. So, so in the end, are we hearing 7,500 is kind of a cap and a scale of up to 10,000, depending? Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> Not from me. Okay. I'd go 7,500 and, and, and up to 10. I would agree with that. What do you go for, Commissioner Redmond? I would say 5,500 visible, and you could go 75 if it's not visible. I like that. Is, is there any reason to bring in a sub, you know, below grade component? That's what he's saying. Yeah, that's I think saying. that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's he's what he said. He said 5,500. Is the I thought number you meant visible and, in terms and, of and, and well, they, go, they go below grade, yeah, however they want to go. Visible okay. from the road from Brian's. Well, I'm 55 of me above, Round. and if you want to go larger, you can go below. So that's fine as long as we've decided that the only real consideration here is community character and appearance. We're forgetting about climate side. action, right. we're forgetting about any social equity issues, we're forgetting about all the the people that drive back and forth to take care of these houses. Um, I mean, I, just so long as we understand that we really truly are just focusing in on the, the aesthetic nature of these houses. And well, on, on, the, on the energy side, that, 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 that can be abused significantly. Jessica, you're probably familiar with that one house that some, some athlete built in Aspen. What did he go under? He went, he went below grade, like, 5,000 square feet, I think. Wow. Had a basketball court. Yeah. It was a almost 50 foot hole um, to yeah, allow wow. for a, yeah. a basketball court and another subgrade level. So in that community, they've limited the subgrade depth to 20 feet. Right. So they, that, that was a lesson learned in the correction. But if we, for sustainability, I think there's got to be some number in that as well. The, the above grade deals with community character but 
the entire structure, whether above or below the rate, deals with sustainability. True. Another thing to keep in mind is if we do make any exceptions for below grade, we're going to have to define what a basement is. That's correct. And that is we a don't lot more fun. Than that's than it's it's a lot more fun than a lot of you think it is. Well, the city's sure. definition is that the the perimeter around the basement projects above or let no. It's like a three foot max above grade for less than sixty percent of the perimeter is a basement. Well, you defined it. There you go. I think it's half. Well, I think it's. 50%. It's on our radar. It's a lot of fun to actually measure, and it's very difficult to measure. So it's something to just keep in mind. Not saying we can't do it, but if you're going to say what is above and below grade for purposes of counting, that becomes another thing we get to That's figure right. out. Wouldn't that be a function of plan check? It is. Yeah. If you're dealing with a 7,500 square foot house, a one in wild horse is bad enough. And it actually raised a point that we occasionally get called in on. Mm -hmm. Just what you mentioned. Literally, and then God forbid they don't do, if they don't grade it the way they say they're gonna as well, yeah. we have, how would we know? So I'm not sure where we're at anymore now. I'm confused. Mm -hmm. well, <clears throat> I think Commissioner Redmond was proposing the 5,500 and then up to 7,500 as long as 5,500 is the only above ground. That was my proposal. And Jim DeBrancy also said same difference, but different numbers. We started, what, a couple of years ago with a 10,000 square foot limit. And now we're back down to 55. So we're cutting that in half. I would go back to what Jim was kind of looking at and get half and medium with uh, the 75 to 10. Jim said 75 to 10. Right, Jim? Right. And that's, if you look at that slide, I think that's one with the largest number that drops dramatically after that. Right. By numbers. It does. Yeah. I'm not going to be super supportive of anything over 7,500 unless there's a very compelling. A sliding scale reason. where we're talking about. Brian brought it up really easy. Or exactly. Well, I know, but but I really, I mean, Michael's point is an excellent one. Like, I mean, and I saw this so much with water, you know, just situations where people are subdividing. Mm -hmm. I mean, and what are we going to do? Like, you know, you buy your 70 acres and you decide you're going to adjoin it. You build your 15,000 square foot house, you subdivide it and you sell off the other lot. Let me, let me phrase it this way. Mm -hmm. the, the, with the sizes of lots we deal with in the county, you basically have three chunks. You have below five acres, you have five to 35, and then you have above 35. The subdivision regulations and state statute basically give us that ability with what we've already got. So I would think of those three chunks if you're gonna think of parceling it out that way. So then walking that out further, like 7,500 square feet on a five acre is a whole lot different than on a 35. I mean, are we then talking about we're going to drop to 2,500 on a five? I mean, well, we currently don't have a restriction on that other than setbacks. If the city has a lot coverage and floor area ratio, we don't, we do don't that. have that. Right. And also, it's it would be really odd to do in a zone like AF, for example, where you've got some weird two acre pieces that are old and then you've got 35. There's just no practical way of applying that. But with those tiers, you might say, okay, well, anything five acres and below, that's generally not MRE. It's you know it's those LDR HDR or it's or it's non-conforming MRE. Just think about what size of house you would appropriately fit on that lot, and then five to thirty-five is a much bigger chunk, but it's still 
within the purview of subdivision regulations that those parcels can't be messed around with without asking us first. So we could say, okay, well, you have this size of a house, you can't do this or that. Above 35, that's where we lose any further control. Which I think is a strong argument against a sliding scale, but I mean, I'm starting to or think about- The sliding scale could be related to just those five acre and below parcels and then you set a cap on anything above five acres. And that, I'm gonna jump in real quick. That That's the scenario that um, some of the zone districts in Pitkin County use, where the smaller lots are the ones that have the sliding scale. And then the rest of the lots have this max of either 5750 or 9250. Now we have 7,500 for larger lots and the sliding scale going down. Do what I'm hearing? I mean, um, I'm, th I'm just thinking about the implementation factor of this at this point. And that's why I'm starting, you know, when we're talking about measuring basements and defining basements and, you know, and, and splitting. So you're into, saying just cap it at $7,500? I, I frankly am really thinking that 7,500 cap and move on is the easiest way for our staff to actually implement this change and for us to actually see if it materially causes difficulty. Um, I'll go along with that. Hey, Jessica, um, how long ago did Gunnison County implement their 7,000 square foot cap? I actually don't know. Um, they've recently done some major overhauls in the last three months, mostly related to some energy code. And so I think the house size was before that. I don't know, Alan and Christy, if you recall love to hear yeah. from them a bit more because of all of these counties, Gunnison County is the most like Gunnison yes. County, the yes. most similar. It really does have a vibrant mm -hmm. agricultural community. It's got the resort areas. It's got the remote towns. Um, Colleges. If, 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 if Gunnison County's come up with something that really works, then it, it's likely that it, it could work for us. And that's the most persuasive number I've seen so far, I, you know, I am uncomfortable intuitively with the limitation of the, the home sizes, actually. It's not something that comes to me naturally right. because I'm not sure what it is that we actually accomplish. But um, if we have to, if we have to land on a number, 7,500 is as good as any, as far as I'm concerned, recognizing this is a draft. We're not making a final decision here tonight. And I suspect once this draft gets out there, it's going to satisfy some of Ren's concerns right. about <laughs> who's winning it and who hasn't. Because they will. <laughs> to answer your question about Gunnison, it was last year. So that there's not a long a history, history understanding. No, but you might be able to determine what drove the change. Yeah, find out what went to the reason. Well, we have good relationship. Yeah, we can, yeah, we we can talk we can and get, get that information. Yeah. I'll call Jonathan tomorrow. And yeah, I, I can call Liz. Yeah, yeah the process too. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. Great. 7,500 is moving on, huh? <laughs> yep, moving on. <laughs> Seven. That was easy, right? Yes. <laughs> Short term rentals. Oh, boy. <laughs> I hope that feels good because. You just lit a match. Let's see what happens. I didn't do anything. Us, I am not the only person in this room, by wait, the way. It wasn't you. <laughs> it was a consensus. <laughs> me. Me. I like that song. It wasn't me. Let's see where the plan goes. 
And yeah, we'll we'll come back with some language, some specifics, and oh, sure, sure. Well, that'll be easy. There'll be more conversation. No. Okay. Ready? Oh, there's only one question. Are we ready to move on? Short term rentals. Yes. Okay. Great. All right. Short term rentals. So um, this is something we just wanted to finalize uh, from the discussion at our last meeting. Um, wanted to provide a little bit of additional information and clarity on the existing policy and uh, recommendation moving forward. So the master plan includes specific policy direction uh, to continue to prohibit STRs outside of commercial uh, zone districts. Um, so this is an important nuance of the current allowances within the code, which is that STRs are technically allowed in the commercial zones and um, Christy and Alan can correct me, but I don't believe any exist in those zone districts despite being allowed. That is correct. Um, and then engagement from the master plan process did show uh, support for strengthened enforcement of short-term rentals. Um, and so in terms of moving forward, um, our team and staff have a recommendation that's twofold to really strengthen that enforcement piece. Um, the first is to prohibit STRs in all zone districts. So adding that prohibition to the commercial zone districts Nothing would change in, in the other areas where it's currently uh, prohibited, um, but this would create just a lot of clarity in terms of saying it's just not allowed in Route County. Um, the second would be to actually create an updated definition for short-term rentals so that staff in the attorney's office have the tools that they need to move forward with enforcement proceedings when they do find that an STR is found to be in operation. So this might define things related to um, how they are rented, um, how they are managed, uh, other, other characteristics related to their, to their operation. So we have a question as we think about enforcement. I think we're interested to hear uh, your comments on those two suggestions. Um, then we have this specific uh, question that's a, a little bit in the weeds, so I want to describe it a little bit. Um, so currently, uh, someone can kind of block off their home as being quote unquote rented uh, for a month to try to get around uh, some of the regulations, but they're only actually renting it for one week or maybe a few days. Um, and so we're curious if you would like us to address uh, this as an STR issue. Um, I'll, I'll pause there and see if there are questions and um, hear your feedback. Got an answer. Please. <laughs> yes, we should um, deal with people blocking out the you know the rest of the month. That should be considered a short-term rental in my mind. Even the month yeah. is a short-term. I mean, that's that is staff's position that if you are renting, it's simple enough. If you're renting less than thirty days, you are a short-term rental. Right. Therefore, you're not in compliance. <clears throat> well, wait, what are they renting? This, this is the problem is that we have a, an, a disagreement over does short-term rental mean short-term occupancy? Is occupancy and rental the same thing? Or can you rent out something for a month and leave after five days and it stays blocked off? So short-term rental. That's Either a short-term rental. Either way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we, I don't know. Yeah. I think it's more complicated than that, but. What are your thoughts? 
Well, I mean, you know, the, the idea would, what do you do with somebody? I rent my house out to somebody and I sign a 30 day lease because that's what they're talking about here. Right. They're signing a 30 day lease with the people that come to stay in the house. Uh, so I rent my house out to somebody for 30 days and they leave after a week. Right. But you would have a Short lease. Huh? You, you'd have a but lease. But I didn't know it. I, rent, I thought they but were. But you asking. had a lease saying that they were renting for 30 days. Well, that's what these people so are doing. We, we've, heard, we've heard that argument before. Uh, we have never absolved the landowner of a tenant's actions. Anytime that a tenant performs a creates a violation on a piece of property, we always go after the landowner. It's their property. Every time there's an, like when oil and gas was big, we, some of those operators would say, oh, they're a subcontractor. We're not responsible for them. And the answer was, no, you are the permittee. You are, can, you are responsible for all the actions that anybody you allow on your property or your project. So, and, my, so my tenant that I rented to for a month has his wife dies and he's got to move. You're going to come after me because I, I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I know. It's three months out of a quarter. Yeah. yeah. We're going to come after you. It, but but at the same time, of... if I rent it from, from somebody and I walk out of my lease, that landlord will come after me in court. Oh no, I paid, the, the, the tenant paid me for the whole 30 days. Yeah, but well, then happens. you went into it in good faith. So huh? that's one of the other things is that Airbnb only chart, just as an example, Airbnb only advertises a nightly rental. Even people that say you can only stay 30 days and they charge people for 30 days, it's only a nightly rental. So there is a bit of a distinction that I think the way a lot of people pay for their Airbnbs when they stay for a month and leave after five days, they're actually only paying for five days. Five days. If someone actually rented it from you for a month, you took all the money for the month, you gave them a lease and said it's yours for a month, if they leave the keys behind after five days, you're not really doing anything wrong in that case. They could come back and use it still. That there's, and we also have prosecutorial discretion. If the guy's wife died, we're not going to come after you because his wife died. Like that's just not. That what if look he very rents good. it again, though? What if you? What if the wife dies, person leaves, and that month of May that that person was supposed to be there now gets rewritten? That, 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 oh, that's, that's absolutely. That's I think we're all in agreement <laughs> there. Just make it sure. Yeah, this what we're so talking about. So, the question again is, what's the objective here? Uh, if our objective is to make sure that we don't have a proliferation of short-term rentals, and when I think about a proliferation of short-term rentals, if my next-door neighbor is renting out his house four different weekends in the month, and there's people coming in with their dogs and their parties and and their fires and all of that stuff four different times in the month. That's a problem, and we shouldn't have that. But if the individual is only running it out for that one weekend a month, then that's no work. It's frankly, I'd rather deal with that as a neighbor than somebody moving in like me and my wife with our four kids and our two dogs and our four cars, and we're there for the whole month. So, so what's the objective? Is I mean, are we trying to stamp out? Short-term rentals? Yes. 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 But why? But we don't want short-term rentals. But, but I would say that we're already getting way, well down that road. We've already seen a reduction with voluntary compliance. We're about to institute the work that we can do with Airbnb and the other platforms where we can take down the listings. Pretty shortly, 
we think we're what, less than 40 or 50 of these in the unincorporated part of the county. We're never going to get to zero. We would be able to take I mean, down even more listings. I, I think it would. I think it would be more effective. Our yeah. ability to take down listings would be more effective if it was more clear. Um. Yeah. And. Uh, oh. Our our job is to enforce the to in, to implement the master plan. The master plan says no short term rentals. There's there's no one's no one's disagreeing. There's no qualifier to it as long as it's only twelve times a year or it's week that is blocked out. Is for anything less than than thirty days. days. And so, based on our current definition, if we change because the definition is the rental of a dwelling unit for a term or time period of less than one month. If we change the definition and change that word rental to occupancy then we're not having that rental discussion. We're having the discussion about how long someone is actually staying there. And so I think the current interpretation is based on the definition. If we change the definition, then we have to come up with a different stance on how to enforce that. And from what I've heard from most people is that short-term rental, you you do not want short-term rentals. No, period. No, period. And that's what and that's what the community has said. And they never said, well, as if it's only done once a month, that's fine. Or it's only done 12 times a year, that's fine. They never said that. And then at the last hearing, we also had the conversation about uh bed and breakfast. And there was a comment made to say, well, that sounds like they're just trying to get around the short-term rental prohibition and and do that. And so there's it's everyone's aware that there are people looking for ways to get around our rules. And so if we have a definition that is clear and enforceable, it's going to make it that much harder for people to get around the rules because that's what they're doing right now. Let me make it real simple. Let's drop this one into the bucket of our staff needs more tools to implement the master plan and keep short-term rentals out. We don't do their jobs. I'm, I'm okay with yeah, we don't okay, do that. Like <laughs> <laughs> Alan made a really good point. So I think the answer <laughs> yeah, to seven yeah. is yes. Do you yeah. not want to support staff? <laughs> no, I'm not worried about supporting staff. <laughs> I'm supporting staff on their right. When <laughs> <laughs> they agree with you, yes, Ooh. that's when they're right. <laughs> right. You got your answer. I, I think the enforcement part is like I'd like to understand better. What, how you actually do that. That was going to be a question of mine. How do you know that someone's in a place a week out of the month? Well, so this is one of the arguments we've had is over the term evidentiary issues, and I won't get super in-depth with that, but there's things in the code that you want to be able to say, no, you can't do that, regardless of how easy or difficult it is to do. You can't have uh, a meatpacking plant in your basement. We can't go in your basement to see if you are running a meatpacking plant, but you really shouldn't do that. Um, and <laughs> And so, you know, just Uh like we can't just have a a use by right for evidentiary issues in the code that just says anything that happens behind closed doors is legal. Like we have to we have to think what is our our department's role? And at least my understanding is that we are regulating land use. We're not regulating uh, online rentals and transfers of money in a way we are indirectly. That's a tool we use to Mm -hmm. to regulate land use. And so if that's our goal and based on our master plan, assuming everyone that I believe took the survey said short-term rental is about the occupancy, not the short-term transfer of money, 
then we need to, that's, that's what the master plan is telling us. Check. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Done. Great. Uh, one quick question. The direction we gave staff was getting back to the uh, housing size. Was it 7,500 flat or 7,500 with a variance capabilities up to 10? 7,500 flat. 7,500 flat. With additional information on Venice and Cummings. Correct? Yes. Correct. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Cool. This is pretty big stuff that we're doing. I mean, this is not Eddie. minor stuff. These, these are hard conversations, but I don't know about y'all, but I've been kind of enjoying this. Before the hearing, I was like, I can't. We're going to have these conversations, but no, I'm, I'm happy. Well, I like you know, hearing. I feel much better knowing that you've been vetting this through our league. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, because yep. when I talk, when we started talking house sizes, I just saw my name on a lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> and I, like, I've heard. I've no, heard I think it was your head on a post. <laughs> oh, sign you. Oh, good ones. Oh. Yep. And I had that question. Well, I mean, the truth of it is, yeah, these are big decisions, but I mean, what are we doing here? That's what we're, well, that's what we're doing. It's what we're basically, we yeah, this is, this is our job. I mean, we are supposed to be the Protecting folks who are looking community. out. For we didn't make any decisions tonight. Mm -hmm. We provided direction to staff to produce yes. a draft and we'll have more time for public input and sure. opportunities to consider it. It's a long right. process. I mean, <laughs> yes. but I think it's really important to, to just have the courage to make these kinds of decisions and recognize that our community is changing and they're asking us to help make sure that what we value so much is not lost in the process. So I think it's good work. It's not appropriate, Diane. <laughs> <laughs> Really quickly, if I can, to, to that point, I wanted to just end with um, these are big conversations and we are hoping to have another one with you before we bring back full code language. Um, we believe that we are still on track to have that um, for a public hearing process in the spring. Um, we've included in the memo uh, three opportunities uh, for us to have a work session with you to dig into subdivision definition enforcement and environment. Um, we we want to make sure that we're hearing from you before we come to you with, with draft code language on those um, topics. Um, and we're happy to work with staff to uh, coordinate that um, if one of these times does not, um, does not work. Um, but just wanted to call to your attention, we are hoping to have another work session before we get into full adoption. Um, and I'll just say thank you for uh, the great conversation tonight. It's really helpful for us. Do we want to weigh in on those dates? Yes. Okay. Please. The first date doesn't work for me. I don't. Me know. also. Uh, I'm out the tenth. On January third, wasn't it the third? Yeah. So January third. Um, I would be remote also. Um, does the does the daytime session work for the planning commissioners? Because I was looking well, at the eighth. No, some of us don't work. Yeah. Oh, Sorry. Steve, that was just rub that right in. <laughs> yeah, I did. So if it was going to be if it was going to be January eighth, it would have to be sometime after our commissioners meeting. That's a Monday, so it would have to be 
sometime after three or four p.m. on the eighth or in the evening. Yeah, I can't do it on on the eighth. Right. The only ones I could do is the third evening and the January eighth of Daytona. So what were the dates again? They're up third, eight, and ten. I can do I can do all three of them except for that during the day on the eighth. I, I, can, I can do them all, too. but we can't do during the day. You're right. Huh. Although we, sometimes there, we're done as soon as other options. We, just don't, we don't know. We don't know. We, we can we have find an out agenda. tomorrow, Jan, what that agenda looks like. Okay. So you suggested maybe at four o'clock? Well, we might be able to do it as soon as one o'clock. Sometimes we're done on, on a Monday by noon. So I could do a, a four to six that day. Potentially we do. Or, do okay. know, okay. I, so let's just say after six four o'clock. Yeah. You won't have any afternoon. Four p.m. or later. Four o'clock? Or later. Hey, Jessica. Are you, um, we didn't put on there January 4th, which would be a regular PC night, but I think you and your staff weren't available because January 3rd is a Wednesday. Yeah, we're not available on the 4th. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, so I heard Sonia say January 8th, 4 to 6. Does that work for folks? I'm okay with that. Jim? Yeah. Ran? So far. All right. So tentatively, January, January 8th, 8th, 4 to 6. We probably should throw it out there just to make sure that those who aren't there get yeah. considered yeah. as well. Species. Yeah. Yep. And we can coordinate with Jennifer um, to confirm. Oh, yeah. The commissioner's She schedule. never keeps us until 4. <laughs> um, okay. And it's not the city council either, right? Really. Those interminable meetings. Yeah. And that's so. module three, then? Yes. Yeah, but I think with with two hours, we might um, we'll we'll work with staff to um, kind of narrow in on on the questions. I think that the areas that we need the most uh, conversation on are subdivisions, particularly LPSs. Um, and then the environmental section. So that's that's probably what we would come back with. The, the others are relatively straightforward and kind of related to the other things that, that we've been talking about. So um, I think that's where we would focus the conversation. Uh, Christy, do you have anything else to add? Um, was that the last slide, Jessica? It is, yeah. Awesome. Um, everybody has in front of you this lovely sheet, uh, which if you didn't have time to read yet, um, this is what um, planning staff, uh, we worked on um, these vision and mission statements and our core values for the department. So we had a staff retreat today and um, did some fun exercises. Um, to really think what we want to be when we grow up. Um, uh, but really, we, in all seriousness, we were looking at um, our website and always looking for training opportunities and notice some departments have mission statements and others don't. <laughs> so it's probably something, you know, um, collectively we should work on. But what we came up with is what you have in front of you. And it kind of relates to some of the questions that we 
we had um, today. So let me just read what we came up with our vision and mission statement. I won't go into everything else, um, but our vision is Route County values, open spaces, forests, rivers, lakes, and wildlife, and is a community where the rural Western landscape and agricultural heritage are preserved. The planning department sees a future where growth is directed to municipalities and targeted growth areas and our residents and visitors have access to sustainable and equitable transportation options. And to implement that um, is our mission. And that is that Route County Planning Department serves to preserve, protect and enhance the natural and built environment by developing policies and implementing standards that support the vision and goals of our community. Um, and then we list out the items that um, the efforts that we um, that uh, that we support in the department, along with um, the department core values, which has to do with sustainability, balanced growth, community collaboration, transparent decision making, and service excellence. Um, so we wanted to share that with you, and we're going to update our website to reflect this document. And this is just, you know, we want to make sure. Us staff, you know, we always have consistent messaging and, you know, when we're speaking with our constituents and, um, uh, you know, as part of what we do, you know, providing a high level service, we're just all consistently saying the same thing. And I think that this will help us all as we go through the code update as a reminder of why we are going through this process um, for code amendments. Um, and so hopefully this will help you all too. That's all I have. May I ask, did we pick a date while I was out of the room? <laughs> yes. I didn't even realize you were out of the room. <laughs> you said the um, eight from four to six. Thank you. Yes. And I am emailing Jennifer to confirm that date works for all, all right. of you and that yeah, you she doesn't have you scheduled you for something else you want to know about. <laughs> Okay. That'll be Judy will be back then. So now you got to get two permissions. I'm copying her on it. <laughs> um, okay, that's all we have. Um, and so I could just just, just want to let y'all know about new applications. Um, the only one that we have that will be coming to both planning commission and the board is an expansion of the Milner landfill. So you'll be you'll be seeing that here in the next month or so i heard rumors that longer. that's changing hands i've heard he's trying to sell it okay i, I want clarification i need clarification <laughs> on existing subdivisions that have a square foot limitation already within their hoa regs we if we if the county changes Thinking right now is that they would then have to adopt a less, you know, whatever our square footage regulation is. Correct. They don't have to adopt. Yeah. They just, the they're just there. subject to it. Yeah. They'll just be subject to it through building permit. Just like they, <coughs> they might say that they require a pink house and we don't. So they have to have a pink house. If we say they have to have a pink house, they don't. They have to have a pink house. <laughs> a better way to look at it is what. If we came up with a cap of say fifteen thousand, right, and some of these other HOAs, which they do have a less, um, their HOA would apply, right, 
that's not the problem right he's addressing so the, in the in the opposite you know though if we were to adopt 7500 and some of them have like 10,000 as they would have to comply with the 7500 yeah we take precedence whichever is more restrictive right yeah which will be problematic for those individuals that just got done paying an architect $75,000 to design their 12,000 square that is correct there's gonna be a phase in there I'd be <laughs> also, I mean, there can be exemptions. I would imagine. Also, I mean, we haven't. Anyway, existing subdivisions already on the books. I mean, there could be. It's yeah. definitely I mean, worth discussing. I agree. That I think there's be some room for compromise in that area. Personally, going to have to be. There is likely maybe one or two people right now that are designing a house that would be affected. I think the bigger issue would be all the people that are over that size limit. If they need to have an addition put on for any reason, how are we going to tell them they can't have it? It'll be your job, Michael. It will, it'll be someone's job, yeah. We're going to appoint Michael. <laughs> I just, it'll be interesting measuring out those houses and figuring out like if they're actually over or not. We have a different definition of interesting. <laughs> I've been told that by some here. people. <laughs> <laughs> We're done, Mr. Chairman. Right. We are done. done. We're adjourned. Thank you. Everybody have a good holiday. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. 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 Thank